0: Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your goodness toward us. We thank you for um, a knowledge of yourself and of Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Lord, I pray that as we are now reviewing uh, the implementation guide, that your spirit would speak to and guide us. Each of our churches is different, Lord, but there are ways that we can begin to to move them more in a direction of um, clarity, of focus, and purpose on the Gospel Commission. So we ask that you would guide us to this end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, one of the things I'm going to back up a little bit, when we, some years ago, how many of you know about the Discipleship Handbook? I don't think we've talked about that. How many of you know about the Discipleship Handbook with the blue cover? Okay, you know it's been reprinted by the General Conference, and now it's got a gray cover with a red binding thing, and it's a new themed thing, okay? But when it first came out, you'll notice on the binding of the new one, there's a little Review and Herald logo. But on the first one, there was a little logo, and it said TCC, or that was the Training Center Churches Committee. And that's something we formed right here in Michigan. Now, I was a part of that, and Pastor Cameron, my brother Jim, and Elder Justin Ringstaff, who was a conference secretary, Stacy uh, Shefka, who I want to say Osterman all the time, but she's no longer Osterman, she's Shefka. Um, and we had some others that were that would come and go off that committee. And the purpose of that committee, if I go back a little further, I haven't shared this yet, is that... Our ministerial director, when he was not the ministerial director, when he was, per, Elder Royce Neyman used to be the personal ministries director. I guess it was when he went into ministerial and Elder Steve Vale came into personal ministries. They began an initiative that was similar to what we're doing in District 6 on a smaller scale, where they picked three churches in the Detroit area a large, a medium, and a small, so they could kind of get an idea of the differences and nuances. In implementing more of a lot of what we're talking about, but they called it they started out calling it Acts 2, and then it became training center churches. And the goal of that was to fulfill that statement that Ellen White writes where every and we looked at this earlier today, every church should be a training center for what she calls it a training school for Christian workers, and how there needs to be actual work under experienced instructors, et cetera. And as we mentioned earlier today that that's really our goal, good a good picture of a goal for the church. Um, it still is a good picture of the goal for the church and that was their goal as they started the training center church committee. Now when we looked at that statement and tried to draw out from that and other statements what the similarities were in every training center church, churches we worked in, churches we read about in the spirit of prophecy, what do they all have in common? We came up with four key characteristics, that's what you see on this first page. In other words, Every training center church, there are four elements that make it that training center church, that really make the difference. The first is that they have what we call a great commission culture, okay? In other words, this is, and we've talked about this already, the church understands that the reason it exists is to forward the gospel commission. And that understanding drives everything that church does, okay? And I'm just summarizing here then what point number one is, Every training center church has that philosophy. If they don't have that philosophy, they don't have what it takes to drive them to be that kind of church, okay? The second key characteristic in a church that fulfills that training center model is what we called functional church structure. What that's pointing to is the fact that we have a lot of great structure. Did you get into the the church manual at all, Cameron? Cameron does a whole sermon on, what do you call it? Mining. Mining the manual. And I think when I've heard him present it before, he says, this has got to be something. People, it's got to sound. In fact, I've heard you introduce the sermons like this. Is, I know this sounds like the driest sermon in the world. Like, we're going to talk about the Seventh-day Adventist church manual today. But the reality is the Seventh-day Adventist church manual is one of the clearest, most practical, helpful books to, to aid your church in the very things we're talking about. We have a lot of good um, outlines and, and established structures in the manual that if we were just to follow them as they're stated in the manual, our churches would come alive. When Cameron talks to you tomorrow about the church board, he's going to go to the church manual. And I will tell you that I was in pastoral ministry at least 10 years before I actually read through what the church manual says about a church board, and it did not look anything like a church board. You know, I ran my church boards like I had been on church boards, and i have been on, you know, as as a board member before, and now I sat as a pastor, and i have been with other pastors, and they all ran pretty much the same way. You bicker about money, and your time's up, and then you go home. And that's a little facetious, but not a lot. It's pretty close to what happens sometimes. And so when I read what the church manual has to say, if you have not done that, and maybe even if you have, you're going to get blown away by this tomorrow morning, that the structure outlined in the manual is very mission-focused. And there are a lot of things that are outlined, the way certain offices work, you know, elders and deacons and deaconesses and and, and the way the church is organized and whatever in different places, and I mean different areas of the church and church um, uh, operation, is very mission-minded. It's just that we don't do it. It's not functioning. The structures are there, but they're not functioning the way they're intended to function. And so what we realized is in a training center church, let me give you an, an example. And I don't know if you're going to share this one, Cameron. If you were, you can share it again. Um, uh, for instance, is there is a church growth expert named Dr. Donald McGavran. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist, and he was studying church growth and what made the difference between churches who grew and churches who didn't. And anytime you're doing a study, you want to compare apples to apples. You don't want to compare, for example, and this was in the Chicago area, the big inner city Chicago church with some rural Illinois church, right? Because then it's, you don't know why one may be growing for, for a total different reason. So you want things as close as possible. You don't want to be uh, comparing a, an African-American church to a white church or to a hispanic church because those are all differences that could affect your so you want to as close as possible compare apples to apples which he did he organized and arranged that and and he began to go through the kinds of things that we tend to think of and we say wow this church is really uh, growing explosively but this other church not so much and we the things he jumped to and i think they're the things we tend to jump to as well uh this church must have a more dynamic pastor uh, maybe they have more money to do stuff with. Uh, maybe they live in a, an area where the population is more open to Christianity. You know, all these different things that we would... And as he went and studied and compared those things, while there were nuances that, yeah, they could have made a little difference, it really didn't describe the phenomenal difference of why one would grow really in, in a, a lot and another wouldn't, would hardly grow at all. And so he began trying to figure out what is it? The... But you know why? I'm not finding what the difference is here. And he got this idea. He got the idea to ask, go to the churches and get the church board minutes from the last 15 years. And he compared, you know, the board minutes, if you don't sit on board, the board minutes are the little, the little uh, summary of what all was discussed on the board. And usually a board meets once a month and you've got 15 years of that. And as he went through, it became very obvious what was happening. The churches that were growing spent the bulk of the time on their board, meaning talking about how to reach their mission territory. The churches that weren't growing spent the bulk of their time talking about the finances, talking about church repairs, yada, yada, yada. Following what I'm saying? Functional church structures. We've got structures that are outlined in our Seventh-day Adventist manual, but they often don't function with that mission mindset that they're outlined to function in. And so we notice that the growing Churches, the, the, the uh, training center churches, these are churches that function the way that they were designed to function according to the Bible, according to, the, of course, what we draw out of the church manual is just drawn out of scriptural principles. So functional church structures. Number three characteristic, key characteristic of a um, growing church, a, we, we call it training center church, now it's the, we get the grow on everything, is what? we called, intentionally called, personal truth-sharing witnessing. Because when you talk about witnessing, our greatest need in witnessing is the sharing of the three angels' messages. But there are a lot of members in our church that feel very unnerved about sharing those messages. So they'll say, well, my gift is hospitality. I just, I'm friendly to people, but I'm not really into the other... And that's great that a person's gift is hospitality, but the problem is, if everybody's gift is just hospitality, nobody ever gets the message, or if just one or two are given the message and everybody else is hospitality, you understand what I'm saying? So a lot of people say, oh, I witness, but I witness in a different way. That's not what we find in a a growing church, in a training center church. In the training center church, we see that because of that great commission, culture, Every member sees himself or herself as somebody who is to share the three angels' messages personally, personal truth-sharing labor. And and as a result, they're involved in some capacity of sharing the Bible. It may be giving Bible studies. It may be just inviting people to a group study in the home where they plug in a Doug Batchelor DVD. But somehow or the other, they're intentional about giving studies. And that was something, again, we saw consistently in the churches that would be dubbed a training center church. And finally... Uh, The fourth key characteristic is systematic discipleship. When people join the church, there needs to be a a, a systematic, a regular, ongoing plan process to integrate them into the church, a discipleship plan. And I could tell you stuff about this. So what we ended up doing is writing the discipleship handbook. I would have, I'll tell you, anyone, anybody on our committee would have loved to find a resource in our church that we could have just used. And we had people say, oh, we've got that. Oh, no, we've got that here. We've got that. There. There's nothing like the discipleship handbook. There is nothing like it in our church or outside of our church. There simply isn't. Oh, we got these great innovative discipleship tools. We'd have people say that, so we check them out. No, oh, there's a piece here and a piece there. But it wasn't anything that could be put into the discipleship handbook. In case you're not familiar with it and even if you are it's it was it was two parts now it's just one and I praise God for that. It was the handbook and the mentor's guide. And the idea was that for every new member the handbook would help guide them into discipleship with the work of a mentor who was the one who would disciple them. Like Jesus disciple people like the apostles did is personal mentorship. And I mentioned this the other day. What I've run into a lot of places is people will just give give them the book, give a new member the book, and say, "Read that, and if you have questions, ask me." That's not discipleship. So the idea of systematic discipleship, we needed something that would not only review the tenets of the faith for a new believer, but that would give them uh, pieces of understanding the structure of the church and and what was available to them in the services of the church, and that would. Uh, have a mentor who would help to introduce them to other people in the church and integrate them into the church and involve them in the church and get them to understand the offices of the church and how they could help in the church and all of that. And that's all in the discipleship handbook and the mentor's guide. Well, the mentor's guide is now part of the handbook. It's included in the new uh, handbook. Because what we found is we were getting rid of a lot of handbooks and then the mentor's guide would just be out here, there, and everybody else, everywhere else. And people were not mentoring. But uh, a a training center church has a plan, a systematic plan to disciple new members. These characteristics across the board, big church, small church, whatever, those were core values, if you will, for a church that really wanted to grow. So, in our implementation guide, we put that on the front, and I wanted to bring you up to speed. A lot of folks in Michigan are aware of that. We've been we've been going over this for some time, but I think maybe you know a lot of you are from Michigan and you may not remember because I th- I don't think we've really broken that down like we. He had been at one point in time. In fact, I think when my brother was here, he did a lot more of that. Now, laying that out, what we do is if you go to page two, this is what we did with the implementation guide. And I want you to understand how this works. We gave very practical steps. So let me back up. We went through that evaluation with the churches. So when we got done with that process and the church said, yeah, I see. We need to grow. We got areas we need to work on and we want to be more like the biblical model instead of what we're following now. What do we do? The implementation guide was to give very practical steps on what to do, not only what to do, how to do it and in what order to do it. Now, this is still a work in progress. We tried to ask ourselves what, how, how you know, we pitched this, we started this in January this year with our churches in District 6. And so we developed Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3, and Phase 4 of steps. And you'll see that there's a tentative time frame. We figured we introduced it in January 1. Not January 1, but the beginning of January. I, it was sometime in January, we held a rally in the district to just bring all the churches together and pitch what we were going to do. and just So we gave them that that group overall, this is where we're headed. And then we went into phase one and our recommendation to them was from the months of February through April, which we thought was a manageable time period, we want you to work on the bullet points there in phase one. Now, I'm going to explain those more specifically in a minute. Then you go into phase two, and you'll notice that phase one goes from February to April. Phase two goes from April to June. The reason it goes to June is because anybody in Michigan knows what happens in June. <laughs> That's right. And camp meeting derails everything in the church in some ways, and you don't want to start a big thing in June. So, you know, you're concluding there with your leader training in June, and maybe getting some of that leader training at camp meeting. Now, phase three, you'll see that it also starts in April, and it goes all the way through August. It goes through August because something else begins to happen in September in Michigan. School and (laughs) Jesus on Prophecy. We're doing conference-wide evangelism here in Michigan in September. And so you'll notice then the discipleship training... Training to your church leaders and how to have a discipleship plan in place happens beginning in September because you don't want to wait. Your meetings start in September, later in September, and end later in October. You don't want to come to the end of the evangelistic series and be like, oh, you know what? We probably should have thought about having a way to disciple people. That's it. Things are going to be too crazy and hectic. So anyway, this was our tentative map for how these things were going to be carried out. Now, I want you to notice... Still on page two, under phase one, the bullet points. Educate your church in grow principles. Evaluate local church mission. Emphasize mission in your church services. For each bullet point, if you go to page three, that first one says, edu- they're not all in this order, but I want you to notice the first one says, educate your church and grow principles on page two. If you go to page three, you see that bullet point, and underneath, you have very Clear, plain, practical ways to do it. So if you're on page one, you're like, well, how do I educate my church and grow principles? Go to page three, and you see under that bullet point, and oh, here's some ways to do that. Now, I'm going to walk through these with you, but I'm just telling you how this works. So for every bullet point on the overview implementation guide, uh, the implementation guide overview, for every bullet point, there are specific steps included in the rest of this document. And I'm going to walk through that steps. They're not in this exact order um, because what we've done in the implementation guide is we put the bullet points under headings. Under those four key characteristics, each key characteristic has ways to develop that, and so the bullet points come under there. And so under phase one, I might have different bullet points from the Great Commission culture, from... um Functional structures, from truth sharing labor, from systematic discipleship. So they may be all through that document, but the bullet points are there, and the point is that you can look at a bullet point and know that there are detailed instructions for that further on. Okay? Now, and I'm gonna, we're getting there in just a moment. The last thing I wanna say on the overview guide is notice that there is a theme for each phase. Okay? Phase one is the awareness phase. Okay? You've shared with your church leaders the evaluation tool. You've talked about it. You've prayed about it. You're saying, okay, we see this. Our membership at large doesn't see this yet. Now we need to begin the process of making our church aware of what we're aware of. We need to make ourselves more aware of the principles. Before you can start stepping forward and doing things, you've got to have an awareness of what to do, where to go. So phase one is all about just Awareness for the leaders, awareness for the church members, casting the vision. And the bullet points under there are how that can happen. You can begin to cast that vision in the church. When you move to phase two, the vision has been cast. Now we start into action. Phase two is now we're going to begin training our leaders in the church in the things we've been talking about in theory in phase one. Phase three is outreach training. Now, here's the trick with outreach training. Here's what's going on in your church. Your church is getting a paradigm shift. They're getting a whole new idea of how to do church. They're learning that there's a lot of things we've done that we've just not been doing it with a mission focus. So they're becoming aware of that, and now you're taking your leaders, and you're beginning to train your leaders in the church in those things. But you can't. This is going to take... I'm going to tell you where we are. It is June. And we're probably not halfway there in District 6. It takes a while to change the thinking of church leaders and train and all that. So this is ongoing. But I can't wait to teach the church and get them involved in outreach until we get everything else ironed out. In fact, we have very plain counsel in the spirit of prophecy that sometimes there's this idea we're going to fix everything in the church and then we're going to... Ellen White says you don't do that, or the thing you'll never fix all the things in the church. So while the training is going on, there still needs to be the outreach training. There still needs to be, because there's a lot of the things we learn better in the outreach and the actual doing of it, so it complements the training that's going on. So that's why phase three overlaps phase two. While the leaders are being trained, you're still doing outreach training, having outreach Sabbaths, passing out literature and whatever else is being organized. Because you're building up to a series of meetings that you're planning in the fall and you don't want to wait until then. Right? That's when the farmer gets the combine out. You don't want to wait until then to start planting seeds. (laughs) You want to start planting the seeds now. And so phase three is concurrent with phase two. And phase four, with the discipleship training, of course, the reason that's down in September in this particular calendar is because of the way the evangelistic meetings are shaping up. And so we feel like in September, a church can begin to focus on this, make sure they have discipleship leaders, make sure they understand the process so that when people are making decisions in the evangelistic meeting, when people are choosing to be baptized, they're not. it's not an afterthought. They're ready to go when that person is planning for baptism. They can already assign somebody. They've already talked about it. And from their discipleship team, they can say, okay, you've got this one. You're going to be their mentor and you're going to be this person's mentor. You can find them and they're going to, it's going to be, you're not going to be coming from behind and trying to catch up. You're going to be on top or ahead of the curve. You understand what I'm saying there? Okay, now, do you understand the general gist of the overview? Okay, now we're going to get very specific. Let's look at that first bullet point. I'm going to walk through them in the order of the bullet points, not in the order of the handout. So I'm looking at the overview guide. And the very first thing it says is educate your church and grow principles. How can you begin to do this? How can you begin to let it change this thinking and cast this new vision to your church? Here are some ways. First of all, review and discuss the four key characteristics of a growing church that we just went over. Read it together. Discuss it together. You could just take a prayer meeting. You could take whatever format. We didn't put a straitjacket on here, so a church had to discuss it in this specific format. But somewhere, discuss this with your church. Um, cast this vision. It could be a sermon that highlights it, whatever. That's one of the things that can be done. I'm going to tell you that when church members hear about these key characteristics, it's going to make them think a little bit. And it's going to bring things to mind that will help them to buy into the direction that you're wanting to go. The, uh, The next bullet point is the pastor and or elders present a sermon series on the mission of the church. Maybe the pastor presents it. Maybe the pastor shares with the elders and they each take a topic. But you want a four-part, probably a four-part anyway, series. So you've got four Sabbaths in a row. And every Sabbath is casting that vision of soul winning and evangelism and mission. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, when in, uh, this is as a pastor. When I pastored the church, in fact, one of the challenges I had a little bit of in Cedar Lake, and a lot of it was my fault, but in churches when I was, because pre- I would preach, my associate pastor would preach. Elders would preach. Students would preach. School had events. And what would happen is you lose your consistency. Whereas when I was the pastor and I was in the pulpit every week, when you've got a message every week, that message helps shape the direction of the church. And I don't think, you know, and I and, and I debate a little bit. I don't debate. Cameron and I haven't debated on this, but he'll bring up the, uh, the statement he brought the other day all about sermonizing and Ellen White talking about sermonizing. And and I've been through this with this you know, Elamite says you shouldn't expect a sermon every Sabbath, et cetera, et cetera. And all that's true. But I've had some ministers come away and say, yeah, I'm not getting into that. I'll let the elders preach and I'm out doing this, that, or the other. That's okay if your elders can cast that vision. But the point is this, that pulpit is prime opportunity to drive the mission of the church. And a lot of pastors or a lot of pastors' elders, they, it's just like, hey, whatever you want to preach on, just cover for me. I can't be there. And so you just have this random number of messages and they may be good and they may be uplifting, but they're not driving things. They're not moving things. You understand what I'm saying? This is an opportunity. If I was an elder in the church, whether it's the elder or the pastors, you're getting together and you're all talking about it. The idea is you're on board with this mission and you're discussing and saying, let's do this series. Whether it's the pastor alone doing this series or everybody else, you're casting that vision every week. You do that for a month. You go over the key characteristics in prayer meeting. You're casting the vision in that Sermon series. And then, for prayer meeting, the next bullet point, or the next uh, point there on the checkbox, commit a month of prayer meetings to the studying and discussion of the following chapters. Week number one, have folks read the chapter education, uh, the book education, chapter 31, the life work. If you have not read that chapter, it is one of the most phenomenal things you will ever read. It is. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. I assign it almost everywhere I go. This chapter is is the Lord's, I was going to say Ellen White's, but it's the Lord's picture of what the life work of every Seventh-day Adventist is. Not of a minister, not of a Bible worker, not of an elder. You want to know what your calling is as a Christian, the life work. It's incredible. You go through that and then you discuss it at a prayer meeting. Next week, go over Christian service, chapter 5, the Church of Training Center. There's several quotations there. Read through those. Discuss those. The next week. And, and how you do it, I mean, you just want to make sure that you cover this. Education 31, to go to a prayer meeting and just read through the whole thing, I would rather have people read it up front, and then you can highlight things and discuss versus just read through it in a prayer meeting. But even if you just read through it, it's going to have an impact. Week number three, and these are suggestions. Maybe you have another soul-winning passage or something and you want to look at. It. Week number three, Christian service, chapter seven, the cooperation of ministers and laymen. A lot of this talks about what we read in that Q&A earlier. And then week number four, read the Seventh-day Adventist Church manual, the work of the board. You're going to hear about that tomorrow. If you take a meeting and go over the four key characteristics, if you've got a sermon series going every Sabbath on the mission of the church, if at every prayer meeting you start going through these things, you are going to see a change. No question. I can't gauge what that change is going to be specifically. But you can't not have an impact as you're all. everything you're talking about now is talking about mission in a way that many of the saints have not thought about. And sometimes I think we forget the power of our... You know, it's almost like sometimes our, our public meetings that we have, prayer meetings and church services and whatever, like there's just this randomness to it. We, we act like we don't have a direction we're going. Just this step number one it's going to start your church thinking in different ways. I, I guarantee it. And, and it, if I was doing that sermon series, I'd end each sermon series with a challenge, something to do. Hand out five glow tracks this week. Do this this week. Try this this week. And it, we're going to have training. And how many of you want to come out to training? We're going to have a sign-up sheet, and we're going to do whatever. I would just, and then you would, you're casting vision. Now, that, that's just one of the bullet points about awareness. But you understand how that's going to help the awareness of your church? It can't help but have help the awareness of your church as you're casting that out there. Okay, look at the next bullet point. Under the, uh, oops, got to go to my quick guide again. My next bullet point, evaluate local church mission. Now this is going through that evaluation tool with the church. If you've only done it with leaders so far, you want to have some time where you can share that with the church. Maybe it's your business meeting or something else. But you're going to share with them what that form is about and what you've discovered as church leaders. Now that's going to be helping the awareness of the church members just like it helps your awareness. The next bullet point is emphasizing mission in your church services. I'm sorry, I should have gone back here. I didn't I I I there's more to that. That evaluate local church mission if you look at the bullet point on page 3, pastor and elders fill out the grow evaluation tool. Okay? We talked about that a little bit. Schedule a special board meeting to review and discuss the results of said tool. Appoint a subcommittee to develop an action plan to address the church's strengths and weaknesses discovered through this process. So, once your board meets, now at the board, appoint a committee to say, okay, who wants to put this committee is going to put together an action plan about what we can start doing. And once you have that action plan, you're going to bring it back to the next board meeting. Next uh, checkbox, invite the committee to present the action plan at the following board meeting for review, discussion, and implementation. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to okay, what are we going to do? And then share the results and action plan at the next church business meeting. So, so far in this particular step, this has all happened with leaders. At some point, it has to come to the congregation at large in a business meeting, say, this is the direction that we want to go. We've talked about it. The board's met on it. Business meetings should not, but they could, because this is, a, it's a, I, it, I don't understand it to this day. It's craziness. I, I, this is part of the functional structure thing. Business meetings who, now, you understand that the, the most authoritative body in the local church is the church in business session. The pastor and the board can't do anything without the vote of the church members in business session. Okay? And it has happened at times that the board may want to go some Lone Ranger way that the congregation does not want to go. But in most cases, the congregation should be supportive of whatever the board has decided because the congregation are the ones who voted those leaders into the church offices. I've had church members say, well, but we got these leaders in our church. and Who put them there? When that nominating report gets read and you're like, okay, you voted them in. And if you don't think that they're fit to be in that position, then don't vote them in and raise your voice and use your voice. But one thing that irks me is when I've had churches and the board meeting, and I've watched board meetings work hard and the board works hard and they come up with some plan and then the business meeting comes in and says, oh, we're not going to do that. What do you mean? Give us an alternative. And it's for no other reason than we just don't want the board coming in and telling us what to do. Well, you voted the board to do that, to do the legwork for you. So in this particular, you're going to roll that plan out and you see the steps, the leaders, and then broaden it out to the board, come up with all the, do all the legwork so that the congregation doesn't have to, and then pitch the vision to the church congregation. This is what we've read. This is why we've done it. This, And again, this is another step in casting that vision to your church. Point number three, emphasize mission in your church services. Still on page three. That's the next bullet point. Here are some ways to do that. Develop or continue a mission program in your Sabbath school. Did you know, how many of you know what investments is? What do you know investments to be? What are you investing money for? Let me tell you what most people understand investments to be, including myself before I got into the Sabbath school department. Labels. Investments is food labels from Worthington Foods, Loma Linda Foods, etc. You know how many Seventh-day Adventists believe? And it is. For a lot of churches, that's investments. But investments, the idea of investments is that every local Sabbath school can pick an investment project that they can collect money and give to. And and, and there was the label program. In fact, a lot of these food companies are cutting out the label program altogether. But that's not the only way you can contribute. You can personally contribute, but each Sabbath school could have its own mission. You could have a, a, a local ministry that your Sabbath school says we believe in this ministry and it doesn't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist ministry maybe there's something that goes on the community like we want to support that right we support world missions we pay our tithe and everything else but here's a local mission project maybe it's something within the church every Sabbath school can do that develop or continue a mission program your Sabbath school may already have one you can develop one um, and now this this here is talking, I'm talking local Sabbath school, but this is talking more on the Sabbath school program. I have to be careful here. I think as long as I've been in the church, how many of you re- remember Mission Spotlight? How many still do Mission Spotlight? Okay, some of you do that, amen. Now, for a while, Mission Spotlight was really promoted, and I don't know if it's been promoted as well. Cameron and I are trying to promote it again and more. In fact, one of the things, and we're behind on it because we've been at camp meeting, and I'm the guy that has to update it. You can go to the Mission spotlight website but it isn't real like you can go and you can order and they'll send a dvd for your church a lot of churches are live streaming or using digital information or whatever else what cameron and i are trying to do is bring those to our michigan sspm website to have a place where you can go and get all the mission spotlights for the month and you can just download them you can do that now but it's it's almost rocket science to find out how to do it and I'm fairly proficient with the computer, but I mean, try, you got to go here and there and there. We can't, oh no, it's, oh no, they put it on YouTube, you can't download from YouTube, so you got to go over here. So anyway, we're trying to make that easy, to put it in a place where you could go to our site, boom. But you have that mission spotlight that you can show in church. Churches used to start the Sabbath school with a mission program, and what that morphed into, again, as long as I've been in the church, it morphed into superintendent remarks And it used to be that churches would have a Sabbath school superintendent. But the trend of the times is, well, that's too much leadership. I don't want to have to take the burden of that. Can I get more people? So now we got churches, and they share that role. And you either have a superintendent and assistant superintendents or multiple superintendents, and everybody gets a Sabbath. And so you have each superintendent. And what do they cover in their superintendent marks? Whatever they feel like. And so you get this randomness of whatever... And I'm not saying it's evil stuff that's shared, but what's happened is where it used to be casting vision for a world mission. Let me just hit the pause button here and tell you this. The offering we take up in Sabbath school is the only offering that goes to the worldwide mission of the church. Right? The tithe supports the mission from the standpoint of pastors, but the missionary work of the church and support of missionaries comes out of that little envelope they pass around in Sabbath school that nobody puts money in. And that's the truth. And I'm guilty of it for too long. I didn't even know what it was. I don't think half the people know what it is. They pass this envelope around. You don't hear what it's about. I think we need to pass plates and explain it, just like we do in the church service for the offering for the church. This is what this offering goes to. I think more people would give to it. But we used to have these missionary programs And now we have superintendent remarks that may be totally unrelated to mission, and some churches have done away with that altogether, and they just go into the study time. But I'm going to tell you what's happening with that. Mission is out of sight, out of mind. Now, I want you to put together what we talked about. You're looking at the principles of the growing church. There's a series that your church is doing on evangelism and soul winning. In prayer meeting, you're studying evangelism and soul winning and how your church can be mission-minded. In Sabbath school, you have the mission program. In Sabbath school, you hear about Mission Spotlight and what's going on in the world around you. are Reminded every week that we are a worldwide missionary movement. And then, in addition to that, you do share some local testimonies of what's happening in the church. This is part of the Sabbath School Live program. I'm not going to get into a lot of this because I'm looking at the clock on the wall. But you see these bulleted out here um, under emphasize mission in your, in your uh, local church. Uh, one of the things I want to see at the bottom there, incorporate personal ministries time in what? Every worship service. Now, I'm going to just caution you here. A lot of churches have personal ministries time, but they don't know what to do with it. They do it because they know they have to do it, but they're not not sure how to do it. And sometimes you have to, I've had people get on the drone on for 10 minutes about they don't know what, but they're supposed to do it for personal ministries time. That's going to kill mission in your church. You want your missionary personal ministries time to be tight. You want to be a five minute, just a quick spot because it's in that crowded worship service. And you want to be able to highlight in that something very well planned out. Uh, You might take a month and say, this is what we're going to do on the first half of the month. We're going to highlight a piece of literature that that we have at the church that could be a blessing to hand out. I will tell you that if you highlight a piece of literature, one of my favorite little pieces of literature is a booklet called The Drummer Boy's Prayer. Has anybody ever read that? You are missing out, aren't they? Now, when did you read it? Did you read it when you just thought about it? Or did you read it when I promoted it? Because I know I've promoted it around Sarah before, but I don't know if that impress. But I'm going to tell you what. It's the story of the conversion of an Orthodox Jewish doctor during the Civil War. It's just one of those amazing facts booklets, and it is incredible. Now, I'm going to tell you that if I had a stack of those right here, every one of you would be picking one up on the way out. That would have never thought about it before. Sounds boring, sounds dry, but when I pitch it, you're going to pick it up. That's what happens when in your personal ministries time, you highlight some piece of literature. I'm not saying, well, we have this book in case somebody's interested. No, tell them about it. Read it and say, hey, this is a great resource. And I used it this last week to lesson so. So, first Sabbath, let's highlight a piece of uh, literature that we have. The second Sabbath of the month, let's have a, a testimony, a local testimony of some witnessing event that we've had in our church. The third Sabbath, you know, and just have, you could plan out first Sabbath, second Sabbath, third Sabbath, fourth Sabbath, and then that, plan that personal ministries time. Once again, it's just another step in casting vision in the minds of the church members. Folks, I'm speaking for myself. When I don't hear about mission on a regular basis, and I'm a trainer, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's when I'm reminded of it, and when I hear sermons on it, and when I talk with somebody. That Those things come more prominently, and then I begin in a setting where maybe I'm rushing through the grocery store. Now I think, oh, I need to leave a glow track. Oh, I need to go and talk to this person. You understand what I'm saying? It happens that way with our church members. So all of these things, they're very simple, but they're shaping and they're casting vision. Uh, Emphasizing mission in the church service. There's more things listed there, but I'm going to keep going. Evaluate your church's curb appeal. Let's go to that one. That's on the top of page four, I believe. I'm going to share with you a resource. In fact, all the resources we use here, I'm going to give you a link before this week is done and you're going to be able to take those. Uh, you know, on the last one, we didn't even touch on this, develop a uh, visitor ministry. And there's ways you can do it. I mean, this just has step by step. Listen, folks, this is holding your hand. That's what this is. Nobody here can say, well, how? Wait a minute, how? I don't understand. No, it's, it's right here spelled out. And this is what we've done for our churches in District 6. Now, I want to say that. Having done that, you think everybody's doing these things? I doubt half of them have even read it. We just, oh, we're too busy. We did. Here's very basic steps. If you really want to see your church become more mission-focused, you do these steps and it's going to happen. At least to some degree, it's going to happen. Um, evaluate your church's curb appeal. Now, I found an excellent resource, and this is something that I've known about for a while as far as not the resource itself, but... As I go to other churches, now I've gone to speak in different churches and I do it much more now, not pastoring a church, that I'm at a different church every weekend. But I've, gone to, I've been to a lot of churches and I don't know what to say, folks, about the reception I get in churches. And, and, and I thought it was just me. And I've asked Cameron, he goes through the same thing. Pastor West, it's the same thing. I mean, I, you don't get acknowledged. There's nobody greets you. And I'm, I'm talking about the personal aspect. So let me step out. Before that even happens, come up to churches Grass isn't mowed, isn't plowed. Uh, uh, snow isn't plowed. Salt isn't put down. Ice covering everything. I mean, all the, the, the church in disrepair. All of these things are part of your mission presentation. So I found a great little resource from the North American Division called "Evaluating Your." I think it's called something like that. Your churches. Oh, why curb appeal is important. And so you see that under the bullet point, evaluate your church's curb appeal. Church board members read why curb appeal is important, hand out and fill out the questionnaire. There's a little questionnaire with it. It's, they've got a PowerPoint made up and everything else, but it's a presentation that just goes through very practical things in your church service from the appearance of it, from do the greeters greet everybody? Do they know how to greet? Do Do when people come into the church in the church service, do you announce things that visitors... How many times, how many of have you have visited other churches? Have you ever visited a church and you're there, you're sitting there in the service, but you're not familiar, it's not your home church. And then they do the offering and, and then everybody stands. They don't do that in your church. But it's like, okay, praise God for I me. Mean, you're just like, oh, you know, you don't know what to do and nobody told you what to do. Or better yet, I was going to say praise God from whom all blessings. Well, we know that when most of us do. No, they have their own little song that they do. So they're all standing like, da and you're like, uh, I don't know what to do here. Churches should think about that. And you should have, if, you, it's a, if, if it's whatever it is, there ought to be words somewhere and you can direct a visitor to it and you can announce what you're about to do and would you please stand? Something as simple as that. Then you break up for Sabbath school classes. I've been in churches and then they just... They just dismissed, they dispersed, and everybody just starts going somewhere. The very first time, one of my churches, I went in, it was my first Sabbath there, and they had the superintendent remarks, uh, which I won't comment on right now, and then it just, everybody just left. It was in the sanctuary, and everybody just dispersed. I don't know where they went. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I was a new pastor, but I recognized one of the elders from the interview that I had there, and, hey, brother, what's going on? Oh, hey, you know, and then he told me where some stuff was. So the curb appeal asks very specific questions, so you can be thinking about and evaluating that. Yes, sir? Where do we get that? You're going to get it here. Um, I'm going to give you... I'm just going to give you... They give me a digital copy, and I'm just. I'm going to take everything, and I'm going to give you guys a link where you can go and get all of this stuff in a digital format that you can use, the implementation guides, the evaluation tools, and all of that. And no, there's no charge to it. Hallelujah. We just want to see our churches grow. So there, there are steps for... Evaluating the church's curb appeal. Uh, what's my next thing there? This is still casting vision. And that evaluation of the church's curb appeal is just practical questions about what, you know, the appearance of your church and other things like that. All of these are increasing awareness. That's the, the purpose of them. Obviously, once you increase awareness, we're hoping there's going to be action steps. Okay, now that you see this, what are you going to do? What are some things you could do? And folks, listen to me. And I tell churches this. I'm not not expecting perfection. I'm not expecting you're going to get everything. That's not the purpose for this. The evaluation tool is to help a, a church see a direction to go and begin in that direction. And anytime you begin in a new direction, there are going to be things you do well and things you don't do well. I just want to see a church moving versus not doing anything. Because as you move in a new direction, you learn from doing that. And I understand it, and we're going to talk about this more as we talk about some of the more practical tools like department planning and things like that. All of this is just to help the church in that direction of starting to be more mission focused, how to plan for mission, how to evaluate and make changes in the way we conduct things that make our churches more visitor focused and friendly and evangelistically focused and that kind of thing. Okay, I saw a hand, but I'm going to hold on for just a minute, I want to get through a couple more of these, and then I'll take some questions. But I want to go to phase two, leader training. Uh, Prioritize mission on your church board. Cameron's going to talk about that very specifically tomorrow. So I'm not going to go through, but you'll see the steps in here as well. I mean, the point right now is every bullet point on the overview has very specific steps like we're looking at. And you can see from those steps that it's not like you do them in a day or even a week. Some of those steps are going to take some time. That's why we have months of time, and our 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 time frame may be off in this. We're still learning, like I said, still in this learning curve, and we didn't hit on target with those those uh, time frames in District Six. So I don't know that you'll do the you know the three months whatever, but you get the picture, I think. Um, the leader training, which is Phase Two, mentions training leaders in elevated roles. And that's in the functional structure section, I believe. I've just got to find my, my training leaders in elevated roles. There it is, page four. Under functional church structure, the prior toys mission on the church board. As I mentioned, Cameron will highlight that tomorrow morning. The next point train leaders in elevated roles. The first checkbox says train elders to function as leaders of the local church. First sub point is assign each elder to read the role of the local elder handout. I wish I had it right in front of me. I wouldn't have time to read it anyway. I found this in an old Review and Herald article published by, the article was by James White. I found afterwards one of our pastors shared with me that the position, so anyway, James White outlines the, the role of the local elder. And if I did not tell you that and you read it and I said, who's this talking about? You'd be like, that's the pastor. Right away, all the role is the the pastor, because that's how it used to be. Remember, the pastor was out raising up new churches, and that elder was functioning in that pastoral capacity in the local church. Well, I found, as another pastor shared with me, that from the 1932 to 19, I want to say 65. Do I have that right, Cameron? Do you know? Sometime in the mid-60s, 1932 to 1960-something, that description, almost verbatim, was what the Seventh-day Adventist church manual said as the role of the local elder. So we have the elders read that and understand that your job is more than just platform duty on Sabbath. This is what is outlined in our earlier church and this is in, and the church still, the present church manual, it's not like it uh, is not giving a good representation. It's just that in many churches, the role of the elder has become, in fact, even when we call nominating committee, hey, you know, could you serve as an elder? Well, what do I need to do? Well, you know, we got a bunch of elders. So I think you just need to, get up and introduce the worship service one Sabbath out of six. Seriously? But we, that's what we do. That's not the role of the elder. So here you're training. This is the functional structures. You're trying to start training your leaders what the roles really are. And there's some very practical things underneath uh, that. Assign each elder to read the role of the local elder handout. Incorporate elders in baptismal preparation, leading baptismal vows, and coordinating and leading in prayer meeting. Start to get them trained. Organize elders over departments. We're going to be talking about that all day tomorrow. That very, very detailed and specific planning, not just with the elders, but with everybody. And then train and deploy the elders in member visitation. That's all part of that first step in training uh, leaders. You've got to train the elders. The next Checkbox is pastor and elders train department leaders. So first the pastors train the elders, and then the pastors work with the elders to train the other leaders of the church. That's what this next step is. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to take some time. Under that subpoint, or under that checkbox, you want to review job descriptions. We've got people in jobs, and they don't really know. Nobody ever told them what that entailed. And what does that mean? What does that include? Well, here's what it includes. And then you want to cast the grow vision for local departments. And we'll talk more about what that grow vision is. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but just that more mission focus, right? Bottom of page four, the last bullet point. Encourage leaders to schedule and lead regular department meetings. Um, This doesn't happen in a lot of churches. I mentioned earlier this week, I'm not a fan of meetings, and yet I am. I don't like to sit in meetings, but I also know that nothing happens smoothly without meetings. And that's just the way that it worked. And departments, if they're going to run smoothly, need to have meetings. And every department leader should be having meetings with the department. Sabbath school superintendent should have meetings, regular meetings, not random meetings, with all the Sabbath school teachers. Elders should have, head elders should have elders meetings. Head deacons should have deacons meetings. Head deaconess should have deaconess meetings. Head greeters should have greeter meetings. And they should have these on a regular basis. And that's where you cast vision. That's when you discuss how you can, are we reaching the mission that we have set out to reach? If we're not, what could we do better? What could we improve on? What are we doing that is good that we could do more of? If you don't ever evaluate, how are you going to get better? And then I, I can't even, I hope, Cameron, you touch on this when you talk about the board. But I know church boards, that they never evaluate themselves. Like we do all these events and then we never stop and say, how did it go? We are in VBS again for the the 35th year in the exact same way we've done it for the last 35 years. And we were disappointed with the results. We didn't get people, but we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to do it the exact same way next year. Why would you do any event in the church and not say, how did it go? Did it go the way we wanted it to go? What went well? What didn't go well? How are you going to ever improve on anything if you don't do that? Some churches say, oh, we don't want to evaluate. It's it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, or it sounds critical. It's the only way you can advance. And so this encouraging leaders to schedule and have those meetings, and in those meetings, how to run those meetings, and that's a part of the the leader training. Uh, Top of page five, aid in the development of department ministry plans. We're going to do that very specifically also tomorrow. We're going to talk about ministry plans and how a department leader would make up their plan. And we've got some very practical, things listed here, but we're going to break that down tomorrow. The next, and now I'm just going on page five, I'm going to read through these because I'm watching my clock here, we're almost out of time. Collaborate on your church's master plan of evangelism. Again, this is something tomorrow we're going to get into in, in detail, so I'm not going to spend the time today, but I'll tell you that, Several of the things we've talked about, the department plans and the, the uh, um, involved in that is, is, is a calendar of events and other things. All of those things filter into the master plan of evangelism, and all of those things are simply tasks that we're already supposed to be doing, according to the church board. You're going to learn all this tomorrow. I hate to say that, but that's the reality. We don't have time to go over it now. You'll get it, we'll get it in detail tomorrow. Implement the use of the event planning worksheet. We're talking about the event planning worksheet. I'm not, no, I'm sorry. This isn't the event plan. The event planning worksheet we're going to talk about tomorrow too. All of this planning stuff tomorrow. So point number three, uh, personal truth sharing labor on number five, page five. Organize your members for outreach. Very practically, identify your church's outreach territory. What is it? whether it's zip codes or boundary lines or in many of the churches I've been in, I take a map of the, of the, of the area and I outline it. I know pastors that have taken those maps and then put them up on the wall. And anybody comes in the pastor's office or wherever and there it is and this is our territory. That's where we're trying to reach as a church. Identify your outreach territory. Organize your territory into smaller zones. So you have the, maybe you've got a more of a metropolis area or something, or just a city of, let's say, you know, 8,000. Well, you're not going to get to 8,000 in one week. Zone it out. Make break little sections up and make teams to go into various sections, or all the teams go into this zone and this zone and this zone. But this is just organizing for outreach. Organize church members into outreach teams and assign a team or teams to each outreach zone. I mean, this is again, just very practically. This may be something you're like, man, I'd love to know how to do that better, but I'm not sure, and I don't know if any of my church... Call the Michigan SSPM department or email us and say, we want somebody to come and train us in our church how to organize outreach, and we'll arrange to do it. Just click on training request form there and fill that out, and we will get with your church, and we'd be glad to train. If you said, I'm not sure how to do this. We've reached our time limit. There's a couple other things that I didn't touch on here, but you get the gist of this. And the things that we haven't touched on are just, they're spelled out just as practically as what, it's not, you don't need uh, some kind of special degree to read this. Very basic steps of things you can do. Now, you might have other ideas besides this, that's fine, but you get the general gist. That these things are starting to move mission, first of all, in philosophy, and then in practical training and application. And... You're going to start, first of all, casting the vision. I'm going to tell you, when you cast an evangelistic vision, you're going to have people. It's not going to be everybody, but I'm going to guarantee you, folks, that when you cast vision among Seventh-day Adventists, there are always Seventh-day Adventists that remember why they came into this movement, and they're like, yeah, that's what we need to be doing, and they're right on board with you. Casting that vision gets things going, and then as you begin to train, one of the things we've said is sometimes, I hate to say it, sometimes leadership moves slowly. And so we like to hit leadership and the grassroots. Sometimes we, I'll tell you what happens every camp meeting. We do training like this. And I'm going to have a handful of you come up and say, this is great. Do our pastors know about this? And you're ready to go and do something. And you find at church that things aren't. So we like that because sometimes pastors get busy with other things or elders or leaders and you may not be any of that, but you go back in your church and you're excited. And what we call that is is upward pressure. So the leadership that might not want to do something now, they kind of have to do something because the members are clamoring for it. And just to keep them quiet, right? Like the unjust judge and the widow kept persisting. It's like okay, these practical steps will will will. I, they're not all the steps, and we're still working through it. I told you that, but I'm going to tell you that that we've employed many of these in churches. And seen the results. And you do some of the stuff listed here, just some of the stuff listed here, you're going to start to see a change in your church. But we have to see that change. We have to have that new idea of, of church and of ministry and of mission. And as that vision is cast and you've got people in the church that begin, remember Jesus didn't start with 12 disciples. He didn't start with all 12. He started with one here, one there, and he began to build that team. And you might have to build a team in your church, but the Lord's going to work through that. The Lord's coming, folks, and it, then things are going to change. I I would hate to think that we have to be like the church at Jerusalem and he has to bring persecution to make it happen. But he will if he needs to. But I'm going to tell you, things can. the Lord cannot come and we cannot finish the work the way things are going now. Things are going to have to go differently. And I think I did mention, I have mentioned in here because I forgot to do it the other day. But around the world, in other places, the Adventist church is doing the things we're talking about and more. It's not like and we know, we know it works. It's not just theory. We see it happening in other places. And some people, oh, well, that's because they're other countries and they're not as civilized as us. <laughs> anyway, I won't comment on that. You've been a good crowd today. I hope this has been helpful um, and given you some practical ideas. Again, we're not done. We're building on this, so tomorrow we're gonna give more practical steps that will help you to move that local church. We wanna see the Lord come, don't we? we we'll to see the outpouring of the latter rain and we're told the latter rain is not going to come unless the church is active with mission. As uh, uh, somebody said that, that that the Holy Spirit only hits moving targets. Amen. So we want to be moving, brothers and sisters. We want to be moving about the Lord's work and the Spirit of God will be poured out and we'll give the signature of heaven to that, that work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, we do thank you again for the privilege of knowing you, of knowing your truth, of having the opportunity in our local churches, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, to be witnesses for Christ. And Lord, if left to ourselves, well, we would be perplexed and overwhelmed. But this is not our work. It's your work. And so, Father, we just pray that as your Holy Spirit impresses us and moves us and motivates us, Lord, that you would, you would bring your power to bear upon the work that is going forward so that we would see success, that souls would be won in your kingdom, and that there would be an abundant harvest when Jesus comes. We ask and pray for your continued blessing through the remainder of this day at camp meeting. We bless, ask for the blessing on all the, the speakers and, and seminars that remain. And we pray that you would uh, bring us back together tomorrow to learn more, that we can be found faithful when you come and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. For his sake, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.